this week on The Startup Life. The poverty rate in Memphis, we have to decrease their poverty rate. And the way that you can decrease their poverty rate, we start paying people a livable wage. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with J.B. Smiley, attorney and candidate for county commissioner of District 8. The start of life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. Now, today's episode is going to be a little different. We're going to focus on leadership today. So I thought I'd bring in my good friend, Mr. J.B. Smiley, who's running for uh, county Commissioner of District 8 here in Shelby County. How's it going, man? Man, going well, man. Awesome. Just enjoying the process. I hear that. I hear that. You ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? I'm going to do my best. All righty. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, first things first, man. Who is JB Smiley? What does JB stand for? What defines you, man? Well, um, when I think about that, I would say there's a lot of moving parts and we'd be talking for several hours. But <laughs> gotcha. But, you know, when I think about the, the two overarching things that make me, you know, who I am, I have to talk about I'm a product of um, a lot of sacrifices. In faith. Sure. When I talk about sacrifice, I have to, you know, reference, you know, my parents and where they came from. My father who grew up on the H.M. Henning Plantation in Jonestown, Mississippi, mm-hmm. um, and he picked cotton up until he was 18. Gotcha. And he actually didn't have the opportunity to use an indoor restroom until he left, you know, Jonestown, Mississippi and moved to Chicago. Oh, wow. And my mom, her situation wasn't much better. Um, she grew up in a Fowler home housing projects in the heart of South Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all struggled to make ends meet, but, you know, they both had, you know, goals in mind. They both, you know, had their children um, at the forefront of their, their thoughts. So that made a lot of sacrifices to put me in this position. And, you know, my goal <laughs> generally is to, you know, uh, duplicate that but for everybody else you know make sacrifices to put people ahead in life and then I also talk about you know my faith mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people this if one thing you get with me you get someone who generally wants to uh, do well do good by people and you know the teachings of Jesus Christ there's no greater principle than to love thy neighbor and I hear that. that's what I try to display I hear that thank you for sharing that a lot of times people do are guided by that faith so I'm, I'm appreciate you sharing that with us so look man you were just recently named you know on the list of top you know 20 young Memphians Memphians sorry by the Memphis Flyer man first of all congratulations man and that and that, <laughs> and that must have been a big honor man what does that mean to you well um, I think it's a tremendous honor if we just look about look at the um, folks who were named to the list mm-hmm. I was just you know grateful to be on that list but for me, when I think about, you know, what it means, when I think about my friends, uh, my girlfriend, Lucretia, mm-hmm. they will all tell you, uh, 
I'm not one to really celebrate, you know, milestones or accomplishments because my eyes are always on something greater. Understood. And I view this as a platform, a platform to advance or do the things that I've always done, which For is, sure. you know, to try to better or try to invest in someone else. So I take this as a challenge as well, a challenge to actually live up to um, the standards or exceed the expectations that are given to me for, you know, being awarded or receiving this type of recognition. Gotcha. So, like I said, you know, you're running for county commissioner, District 8, here in Shelby County. So, tell us about District 8, man. Tell us about the people, hidden gems, hidden, hidden things not so hidden. Tell us about District 8. Man, uh, <laughs> District 8, I'm extremely biased because I'm a <laughs> District 8 guy. So, gotcha. District 8 is the best district. For sure. But if For we, sure. If we really just think about District 8 and, and the people, I would say the people, just like everybody else, they want to enjoy life. They they have children. They want their children to do well. And in terms of the, the hidden treasures, so I'm a guy who loves soul food. Gotcha. And talk about hidden treasures and the gems. I'm going to tell you about Arsenio's on Front Street. I'm going to tell you about Foy Grill on Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about Jim Samellas on Bullington Street. I'm going gotcha. to tell you about Gay Hawk on Danny Thomas. I'm going to tell you about... Miss Gurley's on uh, 3rd. I'm going to tell you about all these places because they're great places, great places to eat. But I'm also going to tell you about, you know, we have Lamorne on College right mm, in the district. We gotcha. have the Pyramid, now Bass Pro Shop right in the district. There's a okay. lot of things to do in District 8, and I think District 8 is the epitome of what it means to be Memphis. I hear that. And and when we talk about Lamorne on, you know, I think it, you know, we have to point out that it's the only HBCU here in the city, correct? Definitely only HBCU, and we need to keep it that way. Gotcha. Um, I heard there was some talk about, you know, transitioning to something else, but mm-hmm. I think it means too much to the community and too much to the people who graduated from there to continue it that way, which is an HBCU. For sure. Now, you know, when we talk about leadership, some people say that people who embody great leadership, they believe in this notion that great leaders eat last. Well, is that true and why? Or is it not true? So I actually read a book. Um, the guy named Simon Sinek, and his book mm-hmm. was called Leaders Eat Last. Right. And, and I heard him talk through because I listened to his podcast and I actually right. read the book. And I was trying to figure out the reason for him saying that. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, you know, when he looked at the Marine Corps, how the officers ate last. Right. And then I pondered. I pondered on it for, you know, a few moments. And my answer to the question, it depends. Because... When we think about all our great leaders, in order to lead, you have to you have to have clarity and thought For because sure. you have to come up with ideas. For sure, and you also you actually have to have the energy to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can have the energy is to eat, eat well. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. not necessarily gotcha. literal leaders eat last. It's sure. more. It's not literal. It's, it's different. So right. what, what they mean by that is great leaders know when to make the sacrifice for. Um, the people they're leading or the people they're serving. And this is, we're in the heart of MLK 50, so mm-hmm. let me reference Dr. King when For I sure. talk about leadership. For sure. Dr. King had a group surrounding him because leader, all great leaders have people surrounding them, people protecting them from you know, the onslaught of whatever they're, this negative that's coming their way. But also, when we think about Dr. King, you know, he had everything he needed, but he still, you know, put himself in the position to be the ultimate sacrifice for the movement which he was leading. So right. it's all about, you know, knowing when to make the sacrifice and making the sacrifice, you know, at the, the right time in order to move the move people forward. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. You know, as a leader, you know, and you talked about, you know, sometimes we have to make those tough decisions, right? So have you ever been in a position where you had to make a decision where it was not very popular amongst your team, but you knew it was in their best interest? 
Welcome to the practice of law. <laughs> gotcha. So fair enough. <laughs> all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the practice of law, your your goal is to get the best possible result for your client. Mm-hmm. However, when you when you think about getting the best result for your client, you have to take into consideration their what their what their end goal is. Mm-hmm. You have to take into consideration the way that they want to get it done. And my job as a lawyer, especially on the plaintiff side is to be able to explain to my client how best to do that. And sure. sometimes they For may sure. disagree with their approach. And what I try to do pretty much on a day-to-day basis is showing them that, you know, although you feel this way, these are the reasons that this is be- um, best for you. Because oftentimes in leadership, you have, you're privy uh, privy to more knowledge and more information than everyone else. So you have a, uh, a complete perspective about everything mm-hmm. and just, you just have to make that tough decision. Gotcha. You have to. So, you know, in District 8, you know, we're experiencing a ton of growth, especially in the downtown area, right? So how can citizens of District 8 be ensured that the entire district benefits and not just a few of the constituencies? Mm. So let me tell you a story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so when I moved home from practicing law in Little Rock, Arkansas, mm-hmm. I moved right in the heart of the city because, you know, that's where my family's from. That right. is tradition for me. That's mm-hmm. home for me. And I recall, I have to, I'm a, two, I'm a dog lover. So gotcha. I'm walking okay. my dogs around the neighborhood and I'm looking at an inner city, um, like right across from the house, my house, there's an abandoned home, mm-hmm. not too far down the street. Um, the car wash that we frequent as, um, as young people was seeing a car wash. You know, our parents would get their car wash and we would all sit outside and just run around and play. And I, and I looked at the, the city looked at the district and and I was kind of taken back by you know what I saw I tell people you know my goal is to look at district gate the same way I looked when I was a, a young person you know maybe maybe I was naive maybe you know my my lenses at the time were just innocent because I saw district gate as this this blooming this this prosperous place mm-hmm. and 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 for me what I would like to see is equitable distribution of, of resources in our city. And I, I tell that. people, you know, my goal is to, I want to, we have to continue the revitalization of downtown because it's mm-hmm. important to tourism, it's important to the people who live downtown, but we cannot forget about the people who live in the underserved communities. We have to change that narrative mm-hmm. as opposed to calling them underserved. You know, under my leadership, all of us will be served gotcha. because it's important. It's Understood. important for unity in the city as well. Understood. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. As you're well aware that, you know, Kroger, oh, well, there are two Kroger stores that'll be closing in the Memphis area, you know, pretty soon. They've already closed. Oh, I'm sorry. They've already been closed, you know, and so that's kind of created like kind of a food desert situation in both South Memphis and Orange Mound. And so what I wanted to know, can you explain the impact of food deserts of a place like South Memphis and Orange Mound? And what are some of the ways that we can reverse that trend, starting with you, you know, as a leader in the community and the citizens that live in it? The other day, um, I was speaking to people in the community, and um, I knocked on the door, and, and this lady answered, and she asked me, I'm glad you knocked on my door. And I was like, why? <laughs> and, and her response, she said, well, sit down and talk with me. So we sat down on her, on her steps, and we talked a little bit. And the very first question she asked me is, if you knew that the Kroger on and the Southgate Shopping Center was going to close two years ago. What would you do differently? And I never had an opportunity to think about it, so I paused for a moment and I really thought through, you know, the things that I would like to do differently. And every time I, when I was thinking through it and responding to her, I couldn't help but think about um, the people in my neighborhood, the people mm-hmm. who rely on Kroger for 
food services. For sure, for sure. And the thing that I couldn't get past was the fact that um, in 38126, where I live, their Kroger is about three miles away. And people were walking there mm. because that was their source of food. Right. People were attempting to take uh, public transportation there, but it was faster for them to walk. And when we, we lose um, a place like Kroger or any full-service grocery store in communities that rely heavily on that, whether they're walking, whether they're you know catching rides, whether they're driving themselves, it creates a void in the community. It's, mm-hmm. it's requiring um, people to rely heavily on corner stores to get food, rely heavily on smaller grocery chains that um, don't necessarily have all of the food services. So the impact is significant when we when we talk about um, areas in which the access to healthcare is limited. We talk about areas in which the poverty rate is extremely high. So we have to find creative ways to addressing that problem because everybody deserves access to healthy um, food. Understood. Understood. So the way that we can address it is the same way that we attempted to lure um, Amazon in or attempted to help businesses who seek tax breaks. We have to incentivize, whether it's grocery stores, incentivize businesses in general to locate and open up in our inner cities. Understood. Um, Everybody deserves access to these uh, resources like we it is imperative for any thriving community. When you talk about creating livable communities, one of the very first things that any person or any person will say is, I need a full service grocery store. It's absolutely vital, it's important, and we have to be creative in terms of bringing businesses and grocery stores into the heart of the city. So, you know, me and you were mentors at STS. Woo-hoo, shout out to STS. S- right, absolutely. And so we know some of the challenges some of our youth face. Let people know some of those challenges that they face and the opportunities that you see to help them. That is a loaded question. (laughs) We have to acknowledge the fact that um, the majority of our students grow up economically disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. When we look at, you know, their success rate um, when they start when they start school. Well, when you're economically disadvantaged, the numbers show that you're starting school behind almost all of the time. So we have to think of creative ways to help those young people get to the position they need to be. And gotcha. we also talk about, I reference, you know, walking down my street when I walk my dogs and I see just young people with nowhere to go and nothing to do. So there's ample opportunities to help young people. I don't really like to say challenges. I would say there's an opportunity there. Okay. And in District 8, there's ample opportunity. Um, for me, um, I serve as a mentor in STS, mm-hmm. and I think about our our young people and ways to bridge that gap. So for me, well, I, one thing I would like to do, I see a divide and I try to bridge gaps. I see a problem and I try to fix it. In District A, I, t- I just mentioned how the young people have nowhere to go and nothing to do. Right. Um, what I would like to see and the things that I would advocate for would be more mentorship programs. And not necessarily just mentorship programs, programs that give young people an opportunity to experience life differently, go to places they don't, they wouldn't necessarily have an opportunity to go. Um, we have the poorest zip code in District 8 in the entire county. We also have one of the wealthiest. I would love to see a situation where corporations, businesses, individuals, you know, work together with these young people to, to move them forward, whether it's, you know, providing laptops to the underserved or whether it's, you know, taking them to a Grizzlies game or whether it's sponsoring a trip to college. But there's ways and there's opportunities for us to work together to to unify the city, but also put people in a better position than they were the day before. 
Understood. And I like the part where you talked about, you know, having those kids having the opportunity to be exposed to different things outside of what they normally see. And that kind of leads me to my next question, because we're trying to prepare our kids for a 21st century economy. And, you know, everything is STEM related, science, technology, engineering, math, this, that, and the other. And so how important is it for education system in Shelby County to prepare those kids not only to prepare for that economy, but to also thrive in it as well? I don't think we could say that children are the future unless we invest in them, but adequately invest in them. And we talk about education. It is the absolutely essential ingredient to success in any any situation. For sure. So we talk about STEM. My goal as county commissioner and whether it's a practicing attorney or whether I'm, you know, serving as a commissioner in that, that capacity, my goal is simply to do a better job in advocating for expanded STEM classes mm-hmm. um, in, in our traditional schools, our charter schools, no matter where they may be. And District 8 also has other entities that could um, facilitate that, that transition as well in terms of, you know, bringing more STEM related classes or programming into our communities. We have street ministries, mm-hmm. organizations like that. I think we need to invest in because they have the ability and the the ability to reach out to communities, no matter where they may be, to bring people in, to teach them the things which will be absolutely necessary for them to thrive in the economy going forward. Understood. On your website, votejbsmiley.com, you state the following. Thanks for the plug. No worries. (laughs) No worries. Uh, There is a correlation between crime and poverty, crime and stagnation, crime and lack of education. We must first address the roots of our of our issue before we attempt to critique what blooms. Could you explain this correlation a bit and how will you address this as Commissioner of District 8? To be as concise as possible. Okay. These, this is another one of the loaded questions. I'm sure, I'm sure. If we if we just look um, look with, you know, understanding eyes at the population of Memphis and the high crime rates or in the United States, we, we will see that in any area where there is a high crime rate, the poverty rate is also high as well. Mm-hmm. We talk about Memphis itself. Um, Memphis has a, see, I think it's about 27% poverty rate, which is well over the national average. But then we talk about, you know, black Americans, that, that poverty rate inside Memphis is about 32%. Mm-hmm. It's significantly higher. When we look at District 8, when we talk about 38126, 38127, 38105, the North Memphis area as well, we're talking about a high poverty rate. And then we also talk, must acknowledge the fact that there, there's a high crime rate. I believe that in order to truly reduce crime, we have to address poverty. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we cannot um, police our way to lower crime understood so the way that we address it is we we create jobs we create opportunities if you look at the numbers where you have uh, educated people you have area in which there's blooming industry in terms of people being able to find jobs um people having the skills to get the jobs Mm -hmm. you're going to have less crime so we first must address what i believe to be the most difficult the most um important the most pivotal problem in our community, which is property. We have to address that first before we can talk about addressing anything else. Those are the things that need to be addressed. Understood. Understood. Last question before we go to break. There's a single mother with two kids that lives in District 8. She is looking at the school system and crime rate and strongly considering another city, moving to another city. Nashville is her top option. (laughs) Make the case why she should stay here under the guidance of a District 8 led by J.B. Smiley. Well, 
with each person is, is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would want to do, I always want to sit down with her to find out, you know, why exactly she's leaving, whether it's specifically crime, whether it's the education system or whether there's something else. But if it's just education and crime, I would tell her the same thing that I tell, you know, pretty much everybody else when that's their top concern. Mm-hmm. I would talk about under my leadership, you would get a fully funded public school system. I don't understand why our teachers have to beg and plead for the resources that they need to meet the needs in the classroom, especially when we talk about children in our future. I'm on the county commission. The county commission is actually the entity that approves the school board budget. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, you send it back. And I will not like it until <laughs> our children have the resources that they need. Gotcha. It's, it's important for us. But when we talk about crime, like I just mentioned earlier, we have to address the root causes. The root causes for crime in this city, for most crime, is poverty. Understood. We have to give people opportunities to find good jobs, but not just good jobs, jobs that pay a livable wage so that they could provide for their families. Understood. And under my leadership, I will advocate for both of those things. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How you like being on the startup life so far, man? man? I'm enjoying it. You asked me some <laughs> tough questions, but I think I think it's important for people to understand where I'm coming from and how I feel. Understood. Well, we appreciate you being here. All right, Startup Nation, I hope you're getting great value from today's content, but we got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. teacher looking for great resources look no further than our teaching with owls section of our website enjoy great lessons such as our mini lesson for the story of an hour or dive into the nixon presidency as part of our legacy series enjoy great peace of mind from our units as they are common core line click the link in the show notes to purchase all right startup nation so let's continue so let's hop back into it jb on your platform you speak of community focused business plan and a business and you know, and for businesses to be good corporate citizens. What does that mean and what are the possibilities of that concept if it works? Well, it will work. Okay, fair <laughs> I'm enough. This is, this is what I would <laughs> fair say. enough, okay. A community-focused business plan is, is, is a simple and it's a concept that says the businesses have to be a part of the community. Gotcha. So when you're when you come to the board of commissioners or you go before the edge board trying to obtain some type of tax break or incentive, mm-hmm. My, my stipulation, my position would be, okay, what are you going to do for the people in that district? Right. How are you going to help the people? I would argue that if you want a tax break, if you want some type of incentive, you have to pay a livable wage because our people need it. We have to move. We have to move um, the poverty rate in Memphis. We have to decrease that poverty rate. And the way that you can decrease that poverty rate, we start paying people a livable wage. And also, it would create greater buy-in 
from the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. If we have communities in the, well, businesses in the community that truly care about what's going on in the community, the businesses will start pouring into the community. The people will start pouring into the business. And that way you have a, a more viable, a uh, what I would consider a livable community. For sure. So we, we have to be considered considerate of that when we talk about giving people tax breaks or tax incentives we have to require that the company the business itself actually buys into the community gotcha and vice versa understood um as a veteran i know there are a lot of veterans that come home to shelby county and that are not set up for success some of them even become homeless how how as a shelby county commissioner can you help solve this issue well, uh, I will first want to shout out my father, who is a Vietnam veteran. Yeah. And when I think about veterans, I always reference, you know, my father because I learned a lot of things from my father. And when I, when I think about, you know, the issues with veterans in Memphis, Tennessee, and throughout Shelby County, mm-hmm. I was I was trying to figure out a feasible way that I can address, you know, the various needs of that um, segment of the population. And one thing I would love to propose is a specific allocation for veterans. And that specific allocation would be a program in which we do at least three things. Gotcha. The, the one, the one of the most important would be to help facilitate a transition from someone who transitioned from active duty to civilian. Okay. And also we have to address those who come back or transition from civilian, those who lack the training and the skills to get jobs, we need to have programs in place to um, close that job skill gap, mm-hmm. give them the skills they need. And then once they have the skills they need, we help them transition into um, a job. Gotcha. But not only that, there's another um, piece of it that we have to address when people you know, go to active duty, end up you know, in some type of fights or battles. They come back with, you know, conditions, mental illnesses. We need also another piece that addresses the underlying mental conditions or illnesses that that folks um, who come back from duty, war, and active military duty have. We need to address mental illness. We need to have job skill training. We need mm-hmm. to have people in place that can help folks transition into a job. Understood. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. Because like I said, as, as a veteran, it's one of those things that hits personal for me because I see some of my battle buddies where they, you know, they're, they're not doing so well. They're really yeah. not. So uh, thank you for sharing that. My father often tells me stories about some of his friends. And mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, veterans are, you know, hold a, a dear place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. So not only are there county commissioner seats up for grabs, you know, in Shelby County, there also will be a new Shelby County mayor. If elected to the uh, District 8 position, how will you not only plan to work with a new county mayor, but also hold them accountable? Well, this is when I talk about, you know, my, my career. Okay. As an attorney, my job is to advocate for my client, but also be able or put myself in a position to work with anyone. And mm-hmm. I think over my career, I've been able to work with just about anyone. And and if you play cards, you got to know when to hold them. You have to know when to fold them. And, for sure. And you have to know when to go all out or go all in, rather. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, through my training and my experiences, I'm well equipped to do just that. I could work with anyone. And if it needs to be for me to go all in, I would go all in um, if it's what I believe to be right for the people as a whole. Gotcha. Understood. Um, finish this sentence for me. A vote for J.B. Smiley is a vote for... A vote for J.B. Smiley is a vote for quality education. We have to fully Mm -hmm. fund our schools. We have to get the teachers the resources they need to properly teach our children. A vote for J.B. Smiley is a vote for 
uh, equitable distribution of resources. Memphis has, Shelby County has great amenities. We have the Bass Pro Shop. We have the FedEx Forum with the Memphis Grizzlies. We have so many different things for our people to to visit and enjoy. Uh, we have the new Dave and Buster. However, if we if we think about all of these things, we have to enjoy. We have that allows people the opportunity to enjoy. We have to recognize that everybody do not have the ability, the finances to take part in these things. So we talk about the resources. We need to make sure everybody gets a piece of the pie so that we can you. truly enjoy Memphis that the way it should be enjoyed. Understood. And the vote for J.B. Smiley is a vote for an advocate who is courageous, an advocate who has strength, an advocate that has the educational background to be the voice for everyone. All right, man. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up today. Any pardon advice, any pardon words you want to leave, you know, the Startup Nation? Definitely, 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 mm-hmm. definitely. Um, one, I want to say thank you for taking the time to, you know, listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you, Dominique, for, you know, just giving me an opportunity to share, you know, my vision for District 8. No worries. And talk through, you know, all the issues that we've been able to talk through today. I also want to say visit votejbsmiley.com. Um, I'm a candidate for Shelby County Commission in District 8. And I look look forward to serving you all. And uh, I will, I will leave, it, leave it with a quote from... Dr. King, since it's you know MLK 50, the utmost question, the most important question you have is paraphrase is what are you doing for others? Ask yourself today, what are you doing for others? I hear that, and that's gonna wrap up this episode of Startup Life, man. Did you enjoy it? Man, it's been dope. <laughs> I appreciate I'm it. Enjoying man. every bit of it. Uh, look forward to doing it next time as awesome. your next county commissioner. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. When it comes to J.B. Smiley, he really is one of those candidates that's a breath of fresh air. We talked extensively after our recording, and you could really hear in his voice just how passionately he cares for the people of District 8 and wants everyone to succeed. And that is why I, Dominic Lawson, fully endorse J.B. Smiley as your next county commissioner for District 8 in Shelby County. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you're there, like and follow our page as well. It's a new way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can now be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. If you are listening on iTunes and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.